This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Kathy Mann about her book, Avoiding Burnout, The Seven Principles of Self-Preservation. K.A. Mann had it all. She was a mother and wife, an ultra-marathon runner and a business owner, but the stress of doing the wrong work in an unpleasant environment landed her with a lifelong autoimmune illness. Without work and income, she took stock of how it happened and how she could have prevented her burnout. Kathy developed the seven principles of self-preservation. The principles cover relationship issues such as the importance of boundaries, knowing yourself and injecting creativity into your life, all in order to create a richer, more rewarding life and to connect with what matters most to you. In this heartfelt and personal account, she provides great insight into the factors affecting our stress levels. Accompanied by personal stories and backed up by research, Kathy provides opportunities for us to evaluate our lives and to design a life more aligned to our authentic selves. If you're suffering from stress, this episode offers you suggestions and insights on how to avoid burnout and change the trajectory of your life. Kathy Mann is an author and speaker with a special interest in stress management. She is passionate about guiding people towards their best lives possible in harnessing their strengths and innate talents. She offers a stress reframing service, which shifts beliefs to be more constructive around stress. She does this by educating her clients about the variety of stress responses that exist and how we can benefit from them. Kathy's books, Avoiding Burnout and Harnessing Stress, are available at major retailers and online at Amazon. She is a wife and mother of two beautiful daughters and lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. Here is the interview with Kathy Mann. In your own words, who is Kathy Mann? At my core, I think um, I believe I'm an author. I love to write. It's really where I find my true joy. And I'm also very passionate about my family. I'm a mother of two beautiful children and a wife. So I really value my home life. And, um, and writing really is the thing that brings me the most joy. That's wonderful. Thank you. So I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about the topics in your book, Avoiding Burnout. 
the seven principles of self-preservation. And my first warm-up question is, what is success? What is to be successful, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. I believe success to be when we're in true alignment with what we believe to be our calling. So it's quite a hard thing to find for many people, and it may evolve as our lives unfold. But I think if we remain uh, true and connected to the thing that we believe is what we're really on this planet to achieve, I think then, then we become successful. If we live our values and we're in true alignment with being a good person and doing the things that we really believe in, I feel that that is a successful life. And it's not connected to, to wealth or money. It's really about, you know, living your, your calling. I love that. So my second question has to do with the purpose of life. What is the purpose of your life? <laughs> I believe the purpose of my life is to be almost a guide to lead others towards their best life possible. I think many people are lost in quite unhappy lives and they're not really living the life they want to live. And if I can offer them some guideposts to be able to lean on and show them, almost shine the light for them to walk in their truth and to connect with what's really valuable and important to them and move away from the things that you know, make them unhappy and stressed and miserable and move towards joy and, and fulfilling activities, then that's really, I believe, I'm leading people towards that. That's really my calling as I see it right now. In 10 years' time, it might be different, but that's how I see it now. What a wonderful suggestion to put out there, wonderful message. Uh, speaking of uh, joy and happiness and living from that place, how do we know when we are living our purpose or we are just looking to feel good and looking for pleasure? Yeah, I think many of us fill our lives with things that bring only a temporary spike in happiness, but it's not a lasting feeling of joy. For me, I feel that joy for me means that we are, we are content even when things are going wrong and we're struggling and life is difficult. We have this underlying contentment with how our lives are and the kind of things that we're occupying ourselves with. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So that's one, one way to know when there's contentment. I love that. And do you somehow connect contentment to inner peace? Yes, definitely. Uh, and I think we do feel, I, I know now when I look back on my life, my life you know, 10 years ago was not filled with joy. It was not content and I wasn't at peace. I always felt that there was some kind of, it feels like there was a, a dissonance, something that wasn't really harmonious about how I was living. And that, and I think it was inevitable that my life would sort of implode and I would have to change things. Um, and if I compare that with how I feel now, I have that underlying contentment with who I am and the life that I lead. Right. I love that word, harmony. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like music. That's why we love music so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's an inspiration to live life this way. What do you think is the world's greatest need? Oh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> the world's greatest need. I think 
I think the world's greatest need is for people to be content with who they are. I think a lot of people are very much worrying about what other people think and they're living lives of obligation. They feel, you know, their parents expect them to be in a certain profession or maybe they, they, their partner, their spouse expects them to do certain things or their children want them to do things. So they're not really living the life that they really want. And, and that's the thing that makes me very sad when people are living this life and, they, and people are putting off happiness until they retire. And they say, well, you know, maybe when I'm 65 or 70, I'll be able to do what I want with my life. And I think the, the world needs people to be really happy with who they are and how they spend their time. Because when you're happy on the inside, it really, um, you know, it shines and it overflows onto the people around you. And the world needs more of that, that overflowing joy that rubs off on, on everyone in your sphere. Yeah, yes. Hard to believe that so many people live this way uh, for others or they wait to be happy in the future. Yes. Too many people are putting off happiness until some, some future time when I don't see that that's necessary. We can enjoy our lives right now, you know. <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. What is love to you, Kathy? I think love starts with the relationship with yourself. It starts with accepting and loving yourself despite all of your flaws and appreciating all of your own beauty. And then when, once you've found that, you can really connect with another person and see them in a way that is free of judgment and really acknowledging and appreciating all of them as a, as a complete package, not only the good parts that we are, that are easy to love. Wow. I love, I have to use the word love again over and over. <laughs> I love the way you connect the meaning of love to self-love. Yeah. <laughs> that is so fundamental. And do you believe, do you think it's realistic or possible to love ourselves unconditionally? It is probably possible, but it's a difficult thing to get right. And I know that I'm not there. I would love to be there, but and I'm working on it. And that's that's a journey. I think I'm I'm closer to loving myself now than I was five or ten years ago. But um, it's a it's probably possible for people who really apply themselves to deepening that internal connection and and loving themselves fully. That is interesting. I ask this question often, and I hear often the same answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not there yet. Maybe one day. I'm just wondering why. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of um, emotional baggage that comes um, gets in the way of us loving ourselves. I think the way we were raised. Um, you know, you know, my parents really weren't the kind of people who would encourage me to love myself fully. You know, there was a lot of, um, you know, they, they pressured me to sort of strive for perfection. And, you know, then you keep, you end up um, judging yourself that you haven't reached that perfection. And it comes, you know, you it's really quite ingrained from childhood practices. So it's a very hard thing to unravel. Um, and I, I think it's quite a journey. I think it's quite a lot of intentional effort and energy into dropping those judgments that have been layered on top through your life, through your teachers and your parents and employers and yourself. So it's quite a challenge, I think. 
But um, yeah, I'd love to know if um, there's a shortcut. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> True. I'd love to know that too. <laughs> So it sounds very much like unlearning, isn't it? Maybe we already love ourselves. Uh, I don't know what the opposite of self-love is, really. Yeah, I would think um, criticism or, yeah, I think something like that. I I notice in my children, you know, they're so, when they were little, they're so confident and they, they um, they don't hold back. They do a drawing and they're very proud of it. You know, even by other people's standards, it might not be good, but they seem so proud of it and they only become self-conscious when other people are telling them it's not it's not good or, or something like that. So I think we are born um, with this enormous capacity to love, but it almost gets, um, you know, those layers get washed away as we get older and we've got to learn to, to relearn, you know, how to love ourselves fully. Yeah, yeah. It really sounds to me like this is an unlearning journey. Yes, yeah. Process. <laughs> So my last warm-up question, uh, what, where, and who is God? For me, I think God is, God is an all-encompassing energy that, that loves us completely unconditionally and wants the absolute best outcome for us. And I think that um, we have a lot of helpers in our environment along the way. Um, we just have to be open to that love and to be ready to or willing to receive it and absorb it and um, and find that little spark within ourselves. I think God lives within us and is everywhere in our environment. We just have to tap in and connect to to that um, force, you know. And I think my personal belief is that everybody, you know, people have all these different names for God, but it's all the same thing, really. I wouldn't say one um, religion is right or another. I think everybody's right. Um. Yeah, because yeah. in the end, it's all about love, isn't it, Cassie? Yes, it's all about love, yeah. Do you somehow connect um, the idea of God to self-love? Um, not really. I think I wish I could you know, love myself the way God loves me. <laughs> right. But, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I struggle so much with that. It's still such a difficulty for me to try to, you know, and also to, as I say, that receiving of the love is such a hard thing. I think it's a hard thing for many people. And I think throughout my life, I've been quite intent on um, being a giver. And it's quite, it's almost a step of courage to be able to surrender to receiving completely. And that's quite, I think that's, it's quite a thing to get right. And many people aren't so good at it. It's not only me. I see that around me quite a lot. That's people struggle to receive and particularly love and generosity and favors and gifts. Many people struggle with that. That is so interesting because it seems common sense that we it would be easier to receive, right, than to give. Yes. But it's not. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Even if you give a compliment, some people struggle with that. Yeah. <laughs> How fascinating the human experience. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. The learning exper- experience, learning how to love. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about your book. Why did you write the book, Avoiding Burnout, The Seven Principles of Self-Preservation? Yeah, this book was really the foundation of a whole new life for me because before I wrote the book, I, I had a life that was not um, very healthy in general. 
I was a ultra marathon runner and a business owner and I had young children and I, I was actually deeply unhappy. And in the business that I was running, it was about five years or so. It was a very stressful environment for me and it wasn't my passion. It wasn't aligned with my strengths and I wasn't enjoying it at all. And from that stress, I got very, very sick. So I, I got this burnout, which meant it, it triggered a, a lifetime illness, an autoimmune disease, and then also three years of chronic fatigue. So what happened was then I became so desperately ill that I couldn't work and I couldn't function like a normal person. And I had to figure out why, because I realized that there were many people in the world that were stressed and why had my life collapsed so, so badly? How, how did I get to this point? And if I thought it could happen to me, it can happen to others. So if in unraveling and, and investigating why it happened to me, I can help others learn and avoid that kind of suffering. So I wrote the book to really understand exactly how I got so ill and to share with others these lessons so that, you know, other people don't have to get quite that ill, but they could um, learn and maybe make small corrections so that they could move themselves back onto a healthier path. So that was really why the whole reasoning behind and where the book came from. So, yeah, other people could avoid getting there uh, to that point of burnout. And what is the difference between burnout and anxiety, anxiety and stress? Yeah, so I think anxiety for me um, is, a, is very transient. So it'll, it'll happen for, you know, you'll have a, a burst of anxiety that might last for, you know, half an hour or maybe an hour or so. And you feel that shallowness of breath and your heart rate's going up and you, you struggle to think clearly. You know, you have these little big bursts of anxiety. And then stress for me is, I think, a much more of a longer term um, experience. If you, you know, you can be under stress for maybe several years. And if it's severe enough, then it can trigger some sort of a health collapse. And that's what many people are talking about as burnout. Um, and burnout, you know, it will be different for each person because we are all unique. We are, our physiology is unique, our background is unique. So for one person, that might be a heart attack. For other people, it might be autoimmune. It may just present more like depression for some people. So it, it just depends, I think, on, on what your background is and, and how it's going to pop up for you. Right. But basically, the, the consequences are always um, unhealthy and negative, right, Kathy? Yes. Um, so my next questions are about the causes and the consequences of burnout. Talk to me about the main causes of burnout shared by most people and what are the main consequences? Yeah, I think um, for my second book, I did quite a lot of research about where stress comes from and what people do about it. And what I found is that, um, you know, there was 77% of the people in my survey said the stress was coming from work. So that was the primary source. And in, in second place, it was about money. It was about people having difficulty with making ends meet with everyday expenses and also worrying about having enough money for the long term. So the financial um, aspects were the second cause. And finally, the third one was really about relationships. And the, the top two that came up in relationships were difficulties with the spouse and with children. 
So that's where most people are having the stress come from. So really it's primarily work. A lot of people spoke um, in interviews I did about there were just so many deadlines. People are expected to work, uh, you know, be available 24-7. They can't unwind. They can't um, disconnect. So that's, I think, where it's coming from. And the consequences for many people, I think it's showing up in their bodies and their health um, quite significantly. I think people are struggling a lot with fatigue. That was a very, very big symptom. And anxiety in my survey, I was amazed to find out that um, 60% of mothers experience a lot of anxiety regularly. So that was cropping up a lot. And things like depression, people struggling to sleep, having neck and shoulder tension, you know, the muscles are really sore. So it's really showing up in their bodies. And if people are feeling like that, it's very hard for them to be at their best at their work and showing up with their families. It's very hard for us to function really optimally when, when we're under that long-term un, un stress in our bodies. So true. So when you say long-term, do you have a time frame for that? Like a year, two, three yeah, I'm thinking a couple of years, you know, something between two to five years of quite extreme stress is what tends to trigger, um, you know, trigger things. And also some of us, we carry a lot of, I think, baggage from our childhoods that we haven't quite healed. We haven't unraveled that. And for me, what I'm, what I'm noticing, and this is, a, this is a personal opinion, but I think a lot of people, by the time they get to their 40s, this, this is what a midlife crisis often is. We've carried all of this these burdens for so long and they pop up and we decide, well, I don't really want to carry this burden anymore. I have to try to do something different to offload it in some way, heal and recover and find a more joyful existence for the rest of my life. I think that's kind of what pops up as a, as a midlife crisis for many. Right. And maybe even the, um, the unhealed uh, childhood traumas might be causing us to engage and work that we don't like and having financial problems, relationship problems. So it might be like a cycle. Everything's connected, isn't it? Yes. And we're not at peace. You know, we've, we've got these expectations and then, you know, and I think many people kind of get stuck in a career that they don't want to be in, but there's not a, there's no direct catalyst that pushes them out of the, out of it. They have to wait for something big to happen, I feel. And I don't think that's true. I think we can make a change just for the purpose of being happier. But many people wait for a, for a big illness or a heart attack or maybe a death of a loved one, something really significant, and then they start to take note of their lives and to make a change. Yeah. When you say they wait for that to happen, it's actually unconscious, isn't it, Kathy? It's an unconscious waiting. <laughs> I cannot be conscious. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's true. Yeah, I think so. It's very interesting uh, the way... You mentioned in your book the stages of grief. So you connect the five stages of grief described in the book on death and, and dying, uh, denial, isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. You connect all this to losing your health. Yeah, I think it is a big loss because your life will never be the same. You know, I feel that, that I cannot go back to, I, I lived in this, manner before when I was really fit and healthy, I could run these marathons and I ate very well. I had this great diet. 
And I had no health problems. You know, I always, you know, when you fill in the forms at the doctor's rooms and I just pushed no to everything. And I was so um, confident about that and almost a bit arrogant about it. And now I am in a place where I have an existing condition and I have to change my diet. And there's a lot of care I need to take to be in a healthy place. So I think that um, was quite a shock to me to sort of, you know, all of a sudden I've lost I've got this great sense of loss for the old life that I, I um, was living. And it is a bit ironic because it wasn't a really happy life. So, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm grieving that life, but I, I, I kind of grieve the loss of um, my healthy body, you know, in a way. Yeah, no, I understand yeah, what that means in a way. But let me ask you this question about health. How do you define health, being healthy these days? These days, I think I'm a lot more aware of what uh, my body likes and doesn't like now. <laughs> so before I had, um, you know, being healthy meant something different to me in the past. I almost pushed myself to real extremes physically um, with my, my sport, but it wasn't always positive. You know, you can, you can damage your health quite a lot in doing that. So in the old days, I thought about health being really fit, you know, that you can run really fast and far. But now what I see is I, I feel good when I wake up in the morning. I don't feel tired because I've had enough sleep and I'm eating greens and fresh fruit and vegetables. I don't feel, you know, I, I have the absence of things like bloating and um, digestive troubles because my health, my body's healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm taking in healthy food. I'm getting enough sleep. I'm resting. I'm doing exercise. That's kind of what health feels like now, which is, it's quite different from where I came from before. Right. It sounds like um, being more intuitive, listening to the body. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, talk to me about autoimmune disease and burnout. What is the connection? Yeah. So, so burnout for me, um, you know, it'll, for me in my body, my, my underlying weakness, I think I had a, a family predisposition for thyroid disease. So because my grandmother um, has thyroid disease already, I was predisposed to it without really acknowledging it. So if you put your system under enough stress, something is going to, to break. And so it was for me, it was my endocrine system. And what it means to have an autoimmune disease there is that my immune system is designed in everyone's immune system is there to protect us from viruses and bacteria. And what happens when you have an autoimmune disease is that your immune system starts attacking your own healthy tissue. So my immune system started attacking my thyroid gland um, that governs, you know, energy and metabolism. And so that once that gets um, activated, it's exceptionally difficult to undo that. So at the moment, my, my antibodies are attacking my thyroid and they, they basically kill tissue away until we reach a point where the thyroid will no longer work. And I will then have to go on medication to support that. And for me, what's fascinating about that, just from a, an um, underlying understanding of that, my, my body's attacking myself. <laughs> and it's no surprise because I think I was attacking myself all along my whole life, you know, for not being good enough and not doing well enough. 
So the immune system now is, is turned on me and I've got this internal war going on in my own body. <laughs> yeah. So wow. that's an yeah. interesting analogy yeah, that you're making. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, is there a cure for autoimmune disease, Kathy? No, there's no cure. But what we can do is we can manage um, the symptoms. So you can, through your lifestyle and, you know, some medication can help. But through your lifestyle, primarily, you, you've got to eat well, you've got to manage stress, and you've got to get exercise and sleep. And just look after yourself the best way possible. And one, if you do that, then you maintain quite good health. You know, I feel that I have a very good quality of life now. Um, and I, I manage very well. There's nothing really wrong. There's nothing I can't do, for example. But um, it's there. And, and the inconvenience is I have to go for checkups then twice a year with a specialist. And I can't, there's certain foods I can't eat now, which makes life a little bit more challenging. But <laughs> you get used right. to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you still taking medication? Not anymore. I don't require any medication, which I think is quite miraculous. Most people, once they have an autoimmune disease, their symptoms tend to get worse and worse. So it's pretty um, good that I've managed to rewind the symptoms to the point where I don't require medication. But um, there is, I am very closely monitoring my, um, the attack on my uh, thyroid. And I will have to take quite serious medication if that continues. So I, that's why I need to monitor at, at the specialist. I need to go twice a year and make sure that I have blood tests to see how that's going. And if I can quieten that down with diet and lifestyle, then I'm okay. But otherwise, I have to start taking that medication potentially forever. Yeah, but it's great that you're not doing that. Yes, I know. I'm quite pleased. <laughs> That's wonderful. And I love the way you connect recovery to self-discovery. That was, <laughs> I never heard it that way before. <laughs> yeah. That was really great. Um, this is what we're going to talk about next, the seven principles. But before that, because it has to do with recovery and self-discovery. But before that, I have a few more questions um, yeah. How did you know when you were fully recovered from burned out? It's very hard to reach that point. So my goal was that I could, I could work for about seven hours a day and do exercise and still have enough energy to be with my children and cook supper for my family. You know, so that for me, that was the definition. That was the goal. If I could have days like that, then I would be I would be over it. So that took, you know, took about three years for me to get to that point. And of course it was quite gradual because you incrementally are getting better and better. And of course I did all this healing and I think that had something to do with it. And my diet was very good. I had a lot of rest. So I had to really monitor my um how much effort I put into things. I couldn't do a whole lot of things. I couldn't go out so it took a long time. And obviously, you know, in, in year two, I was better than in year one. Um, but I would have a lot of setbacks. And I think uh, my, my estimate is that it was about three years before I could reach that goal of having seven hours of work, plus having fun with my children, exercise and, and doing all everyday things that other people do. Um, so that's how I measured it. But, you know, that was my, my version of recovery, which is quite subjective. Um, I'm sure other people might have a different um, measure. 
Right. And then you mentioned the time frame too, that varies. It's not the same for everyone. It's not. Yeah. Right. For you, it was two years, but for other people. Yeah, I mentioned two years in my book. Yeah. It's in, uh, but by the time I published it, I wasn't really at that point. So in total, it took about three years. But I think from the research I've done, the burnout, depending on how severe it is, it can take about six months if it's fairly mild. But And, and the most it should take is about two years. Um, but I didn't really have a, the correct diagnosis up front. So I spent about a year before I got to the right doctor. And that, I think, did quite a lot of harm because I wasn't on the right medication to get me on the correct path. Um, so that was a bit sad, but perhaps I think there's a reason for that. I think I, perhaps I needed that extra year to to heal and fully recover and find my feet. So yeah, what's done is done. <laughs> yeah, I like that where you see everything that happened as happening for a reason. Yes, I believe that to create positive change, a transformation at that. Yes, it it probably there was a lot that needed to change in my life. So I think I needed that I needed that time to acclimatize to the new me and what I needed and new career and different relationships. So I think I did need the time, although I was extremely frustrated that it took that long to get better. Yeah. It was worth it, wasn't it? Yes. Today is wonderful that you're helping others. Yes. <laughs> so let's um let's talk about the seven principles. Principle one, know yourself. So I'll be asking you two questions. One is about the methods. What methods did you use to help you to know yourself and understand yourself better? I'm more interested, I guess, in the most effective methods. And then uh, what insights did you gain from using these methods? Okay, yeah, I think I looked back on, you know, I was quite analytical in my previous job. So I started to, I wanted to understand how, how did I get sick and what went wrong? So I started to look into what kind of a person I was. And I looked at all my, I worked in a lot of corporate organizations and I did a lot of psychometric tests when I was employed. And so I looked at all those personality qualities that I had and I did a lot of online type tests I did my values exercise. So I gathered all this information to try to understand what had gone wrong. And, and in that, the insights that came from that is that, okay, I'm, I'm an introvert. And then I spent a lot of time in sales. Okay, that I can see was a big problem. <laughs> I, can, I can see that I'm, I'm a creative person. And I spent a lot of time doing administrative work that wasn't really my strength. So I started to unpack why the things had gone so wrong and that my values were not aligned to the work I was doing. I didn't love my job and I wasn't getting what I needed out of my daily work. So, yeah, that was sort of those are the, all the techniques I used. And I also had a lot of fun with um, all the spiritual healing as well to just go to all these people to understand how do I figure out what, what, what does my soul want on what alignments do I have between, you know, my ego and my soul? Are we at war there as well? Am I walking in the right path? And I started to realize that I was really on the opposite path of where I should have been. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> That's so amazing that you also use the method of spiritual awakening, which you talk about on principle five, be true to yourself. Yes. Yes. I have, I think, two questions about that. I'm not going to ask now. The principle two, explore your creative side you mentioned earlier. I know writing is a form of being creative, it's creativity. Were there other forms of creative work um, that you discover within yourself? Yeah, I, I decided that I realized that I wasn't really giving myself permission to have fun. You know, I was very serious person. And I, you know, I can get quite intense and serious and I have all these rules, you know, I'm allowed to, I'm not allowed to have fun and I'm not allowed to, um, you know, do a painting unless it's going to be on my wall. You know, so I had a lot of fun with things like I went, uh, I figured out, um, I, I met a lady who did some Zentangle drawing, which was a beautiful technique. It's very peaceful and, um, meditative. And so I learned all these drawing techniques, which was beautiful and I did a lot of painting. I did some painting that was fun. And I also remembered that I, I did crochet and knitting as a child from my, my grandmother. Yeah. So I started making a lot of blankets for charity and having so much fun with the colors and just experimenting and letting myself be a bit more flamboyant with color because before, you know, I was so serious and my wardrobe was black and, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I just allowed myself to just have fun with color and, um, you know, just create things for the joy of creating them, not because there's some ultimate end. That was the, the end in itself was the joy of creating anything, really. Yeah. yeah. Now relating that to work, that having to do that so we can make money, right? <laughs> yes. I like that better, much better. If we can make money out of the things that we love to do and have fun, that's the ultimate, isn't it? Absolutely. That's the goal. Yeah, exactly. Right. And principle three, you talk about self-care, giving priority to that. And we mentioned early, we talked a lot about self-love. Do you connect self-care to self-love? Yes, I think... I didn't, I neglected my self-care more and more as I was approaching burnout. And I think I was so hard on myself and I felt that I was failing more and more. And then I was even harder on myself and I, I got so stressed and exhausted that I just stopped all the small things that, you know, you take care of, you take some time off to go for a massage or to have a facial or something. I just, I just thought, no, I don't have any time for any of that self-indulgent stuff that I saw as, as nonsense and really unnecessary. And then I got to such a point where I couldn't even function, you know, so I really had to go back to basics to go back to the self-care of grooming, just looking after myself in just the physical form. And then not only that, but also the needs, you know, um, self-care goes much deeper than just the outside. It's also about starting to, you know, look after, figure out what it is you want and to start to ask for it. Um, so I really made a lot of, I even put up a little roster because at that time I was so ill with a fatigue that I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to do a lot. So I, I made this little roster to force myself so that I could tick something off to say, okay, today I had a nap and that was, that was self-care. That was loving and kind because I needed it. And then tomorrow I'm going to do a meditation and I'm going to tick it off on my little roster and that's how I got myself back into the habits of looking after myself and making self-care part of my everyday life. Yeah. 
It very much sounds like unlearning again, doesn't it, Kathy? We, yeah. Because <laughs> we're like learning something that seems to be so basic. Take care, to be kind to ourselves. and That's right. And I can't believe that I got there. I, it, I look now and I realize, wow, I was actually quite unkind to myself. I didn't offer myself the luxury of just, um, you know, taking good care of, of my needs. So I, that was really bad habit to get into. So I did have to unlearn all of that, um, those bad habits that I'd, I'd developed along the way. Yeah, yeah. And that also, it's a, yeah, self-awareness, self-practicing self-awareness and self-knowledge, right? Um, then um, principle four, you talk about um, the uh, energy vampires. It's kind of funny, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> And you talk about unhealthy relationships. You emphasize that. Yeah. So I had, I think everybody can relate to that term, that energy vampire. There's, there's somebody in everybody's life who seems to drain all energy out of them. And um, I had a couple of them in my life and, and they weren't, I was allowing them really to take too much of my energy and my, my life source. You know, I was just really at the mercy of a lot of other people. And I felt so obligated to meet everybody's needs. And I, I put my own needs right at the bottom of the list, which, of course, I never managed to reach. So I had to put in some very clear boundaries. I had to even push some people out of my life, which was really tough at, at a time when I had very low energy and it was, took a lot of courage and it was very difficult but they weren't being good to me and I had to start putting myself first because I was suffering so much. So I, I had to, then I, it brought me a lot of clarity. That was one of the many gifts of burnout to start to see who are the people that I really want in my life and who don't I want anymore or who do I want a little bit less of. And I, then I restructured my relationships so that I could bring the people who were good to me nice and close and push those who weren't good to me a little bit further away so that I could take the time to heal and recover and be strong enough again. Yeah, I like that. When you say unhealthy relationships and trying to clean that area, you mean uh, work relationship, business, also personal family relationships, all kinds or especially work? <laughs> yes, all kinds. Yeah, yeah, especially the work. But I think also in my personal life, my, my parents really, I had to clean things up there quite a lot. And I had to have quite honest relationship, or honest discussions with, um, you know, my mother, I had to talk to her a lot about um, what, what had hurt me a lot as a child, and why I felt that I'd pushed her far away. So I had a lot of, I did a lot of work around those kind of things very intentionally. Um, and that was very valuable for me. When I look back now, uh, the people I have close to me now are the ones that are really good for me and good to me. And I'm very happy with that. I think, I think sometimes we feel so trapped and we feel that we have to be subjected to this bad treatment, but it's not true. We can choose who we want in our lives and we can um, rearrange our relationships in a way that works better for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way you wrote this in your book. You say that you strongly believe that our behaviors encourage people to treat us the way they do. Yes. <laughs> yes. No doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. I allowed them to treat me like that. And, you know, that's on me. I, I did. I, I let that happen. And I had to undo it. I had to push back and, and 
find my power again in a way. Yeah. And principle five, I mentioned earlier, be true to yourself. This where you went through some methods um, that included spiritual awakening. Talk to me more about that. What was the process of spiritual awakening? Okay. So I think when I was a child, I was raised as Roman Catholic and um, on my mother's side. And that had served me well. I went to a Catholic school and at least I had a good um, connection with, with a power outside of myself. So that was, was pretty good as a foundation. But I found when I got to this, uh, this stage of my health collapsing, I felt that something deeper was happening, something bigger um, was opening up. And then I started to realize, you know, I met, I, I met with a friend and he spoke to me about how he believes that we, you know, we are reincarnated and we come into this life with a, a purpose and we have to align with that and, and um, you know, live out that purpose and live the lessons that we're here to live. And that just resonated with me so much. And I started to realize that this burnout was part of waking up to what I really needed to achieve in this lifetime and what I was here to do. And I could no longer, I, I had to let go of my traditional beliefs and, and that and really align with my new belief of connecting with the higher power that's more than just one God, that's just, um, you know, a greater source of love that can be called by any name, really. I absolutely relate to that. This was my case too, being born in Brazil, Catholic, and then changing my beliefs. And that takes time and courage. Yeah. It took time for yeah. me to um, yeah. uh, come clean to my husband, mm -hmm. you know, to talk to him about these new beliefs because, uh, you know, he had a similar upbringing and it was difficult to say to him, I now believe all these different things um, but this this fits for me. It feels like it's right. And this is what I believe in. And, um, you know, he had to know that I had a different faith. And now, and so that was quite an interesting conversation. Right, right. <laughs> I think he was quite shocked to hear that. <laughs> Did he change in any way? Does he believe in what you do? Or he still has his own uh, traditional beliefs about life. He has his traditional beliefs, but he is, um, you know, very understanding and open to the fact that I have a different set of beliefs. So, yeah, so I think he's, he's open-minded enough not to expect everyone to have the same as him. So, yeah. And that's love. Yes. <laughs> At its core, being open. So principle six, you talk about uh, losing the guilt and shame. So my main question is, how did you do it? Who did you have to forgive first? <laughs> oh, oh boy. I think, yeah, myself, I had to forgive. I had a lot of guilt around what had transpired when I was sick. You know, I didn't, I wasn't a very good mother when I was very ill. And it was very hard to look back on all those experiences and realize that my children had quite unpleasant experiences. Um, and that was hard. And it's taken time to forgive myself for that. But if I think about it, I try to hold on to the fact that they have a much better mother now. Uh, almost, I really had to go through that difficult experience. And now they get a mindful mother who's focused on them who loves them deeply and is really much more um, generous and, and present with them. 
So I, I have to sort of balance it with what they've, what they've got now is better than what they had originally. But we all went through some, some suffering and um, I had to let go of the guilt that I was carrying because it's not a healthy thing to carry around. It doesn't serve you or the people around you to hold on to this guilt for um, an extended period. Yeah. Yes. This is something that happened um, immediately from an understanding, a moment of understanding, or took time in practice? I think it took time and practice. You know, I still have these little moments where I have a flash of like, oh, I remember when I did that <laughs> and yeah. I wish I didn't. Um, but then I have to keep reminding myself that, um, you know, it had to it had to happen like that in a way that um, moved me to this better place. So I do keep, uh, but I must say I've I've let go of a lot of it. I did many meditations and visualizations to forgive both myself and then the people who had hurt me. So I let go of, of all of that because it was also wasn't serving me to hold on to the anger towards other people. That wasn't really helping me at all either. It really doesn't. That's funny how we don't realize that early <laughs> enough, right, in life? Yes. Um, all of us, myself included. And then principle seven, you talk about finding meaning, learning to stop, evaluate, and trust. I love that word, trust. And finding our passions, talents, gifts. And you also talk about knowing ourselves, that being perhaps the most important component. Yeah, I think the meaning was really all about me understanding that this burnout was really a, an opening up. It was a gift that I could uh, transform my life to be a much happier one. And I've found in, in the suffering, I found so much value because I'm now, I've really created the life that I want to live. And I've found a, a career path that really brings me a lot of joy. And uh, writing is something that it just really, it makes me feel so good. If I do an, a, an hour or two of writing a day, I just feel so wonderful. And that joy that, um, you know, and it overflows. As I say, if you've got that underlying contentment, bad things can happen, but you still feel so happy. And if your life has meaning and you feel that you're contributing to something greater than yourself and you're using your gifts to the best of your ability, then you're starting to live a really good life. And that's my wish for, for people to connect with that and to live um, that kind of life um, that feels meaningful for them. That is so wonderful. Thank you so much, Kathy, for what you do and the way you do it, <laughs> the way you have done and the way you still do it. Um, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you a few questions unrelated to the subject, somehow unrelated? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> I think the last thing I wanted to add, you know, there was a, a great transformation in the process from when I finished this book, which the Avoiding Burnout was really the, the starting point of becoming a writer. And I've written my second book now, which is called Harnessing Stress. And that book is so much about, um, you know, not fearing stress, about really seeing it as a, an opportunity to, you know, succeed and to connect with loved ones, to learn from our mistakes. So there's a lot of beauty in the things that often people see as suffering. So some people might see burnout as a suffering, but I see a gift. And some people might see stress as such a negative thing. 
But it's really our body's way of saying, well, something's important here. Something you care about is at stake. And I'm showing you, I'm giving you an opportunity to take some positive action from it. So I'd love people to really transform their thinking about stress in a way that allows them to feel more empowered and using that energy to to rise up and take some positive action. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so much wisdom and seeing things in a different way is changing perspective, shifting perspective. Yes, that's really the work that I do. I really want to change people's minds and, and see stress and uh, see the beauty in stress, put it that way. Yeah, I love that, Kath. It's uh, being compassionate, isn't it? That's compassion too. It goes back to self-compassion, self-love and the whole ideal of love. Yes. So my final questions, um, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? Wow. Um, I think the hardest lesson to learn about myself, <laughs> I've always thought I was quite a nice person. Um, and I think that was such an important thing when I was growing up. You know, my, my mother really raised us to be, you know, you've got to be considerate and you must always be a nice person and do the right thing for everyone else. And I think I've realized along the way that I'm not necessarily um, a nice person, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm just, I'm just human and I mess up and I make mistakes, but I'm doing the best I can and I'm trying to live um, a good life. And it, it might mean to some people that I, I don't appear to be very nice. <laughs> and that was, I think, hard for me to cope with because of where I come from. <laughs> We all want to be a nice person and to be liked. I think that's so hard to get over that. Well, maybe not everybody's going to like you all of the time and that's okay. What a great message, right? <laughs> we don't have to please everyone, right? We don't have to be good yeah, in the eyes of everyone. right? Yes, exactly. What is another word for healing? For healing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, surrender. Because we try so hard to hold on to these things and try to maintain control of our lives and everything around us. And sometimes letting go is the best thing we can do. <laughs> you know, we, we, in healing, I think I let go of lots of past hurt and anger. I let go of guilt. I let go of trying to please everybody. So that surrendering, I think, is very um, cathartic and it can move us to a much healthier place. Than, than holding on tight to, to things and believing that we're in control. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it resonates and makes me think about what you said in the beginning about receiving. So being more open to receive, not just trying to give and have inputs, right, on everything. Yeah. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life, do anything differently? Wow, um, that's a fascinating question. <laughs> I don't think I would right now. I think I'm at a place where I'm really, I really love my family. I've got these beautiful little kids and they bring me so much happiness and I feel that I've done the best I can do for them. If I were to die tomorrow, they know I love them and I've given of myself a lot in the world in general. and. Um, I, t I think to the best of my ability, I'm sure there's things that I could do better, but I'm, I'm pretty much at peace with who I am and what I do every day. 
So I think um, I think I'm okay. If I were to go tomorrow, I think it would be okay. Uh, I love that. That's a powerful answer. <laughs> I usually say lately I've been saying something like uh, maybe I've read somewhere about living in peace, not resting in peace. It's <laughs> yes. the idea of being here now in peaceful, right? That exactly. this is already it. Don't wait for things right. to <laughs> Right. Um, what are three things about life you know for sure? Well, for sure, we are not in control. That is the number one. I think, as I said about surrendering, I think letting ourselves feel that we're in control is not a great thing. So we're definitely not in control of the entire path of our lives. I think that love is the most fundamental thing that we can focus on. If we focus on nothing else, it's love. And I think our bodies are going to um, decay. And I think we've got to make peace with that. So many people are sort of fighting the aging process. And, you know, I think we just um, need to learn to roll with that. Our bodies get, get weaker as we get older, but we can still enjoy life and love our, our bodies right to the end. Acknowledge that they've taken us through this journey. It's like, you know, you have through childbirth, you are different. Your body's never going to be the same as it was when you were 20. But it's still beautiful. It's still got um, value because it's done so much for you. Yeah, that's a great message too of gratitude and appreciation, right? Yeah. It has been a peaceful conversation, Kathy. Thank you so much for your presence and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay. My website um, is probably a good source for people. Um, so that's www.kathyman with a K dot co dot za because I live in South Africa. So that's probably the best place. I'm also have got a writer's page on Facebook. That's KA Man Writer. And um, that shows all my latest events. And I've got a nice private group there for people who want to figure out how to see stress in a positive way. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now, Kathy. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kathy Mann, please visit her website, kathymann.co.za. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.